Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I'm your host, Chris Cosentino. We are here to talk about people that inspire and all my guests are inspiring in so many different ways. And I'm really looking forward to digging deep into how they got to where they are, to the top of their game, how hard they've worked, how much they've given up and how they're giving back. So without further ado, here's our next guest. Hey everybody, welcome to Losing Your Mind with Chris Cosentino. I am here with Serena Bishop-Gordon. And by the way, if you think you know what fast is, you don't. You should watch her come blazing by you like you're standing still when you think you're giving everything you've got. And I know because she's done that to me multiple times on multiple stages at the Oregon Trail Gravel Grinder. Welcome, Serena. It's good to see you. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. So let's let let's start a little bit here. So you know, you you race with Live, which is a women's cycling program, right? And I want to kind of ex- have you explain to folks like how you transition. So like you weren't always a bike racer, and you've made a lot of changes to be where you are now. And I think that's really important for people to understand because getting fast doesn't happen overnight. You know, racing in the pro category doesn't happen overnight. This isn't like some little magic pill or a coffee that you take in the morning and you're super speedy. Um, and, and I really think it would make people understand how much time, energy, perseverance, what you have to give up to get where you are right now. So why don't we start at the beginning and you can kind of, we can ebb and flow and I'll, and I'll pepper you with questions as it goes. Yeah, that sounds great. I actually love um, what you just said about a magic pill and the time that it takes to become um, professional cyclist, because I think too often people just see the end or the, the point in the process where you're, you're at the pointy end and don't realize that it does take a lot of dedication and years of training. Um, but to start at the beginning, um, I was a runner through college and after college, I decided to become an ultra runner before ultra running was cool. And, um, and then long series of events, ended up meeting my husband. We hiked the Pacific Crest Trail and we moved to Bend, Oregon. And when we moved to Bend, the running community was not what it is today. And for me to say, I didn't find community in running in Bend to anyone who lives here now, I was like, well, were you looking? Because now the running community is so strong. But at the time it just wasn't, there were just fewer people. Um, And a friend of mine said, hey, you should come do this cycle cross race. And I said, I don't know what that means. What is that? And she said, oh, you can borrow my bike and meet me at this place on Wednesday night and we'll do this race. It's called the Thrilla. I said, okay. okay." So um, I did it. And as most, well, I don't know if everyone who's um, listening to this knows, but cyclocross is is a short format lap type race that you, you race for, you know, 40 to 60 minutes. There's dismounting, there's running up hills, there's a little technical riding. Um, so I entered and lots this, of hurdles. Don't forget hurdles and barriers. Yep. The barriers. Um, and I had a great time. It was like, this is so fun. No idea what I was doing. And at the time I was, um, training for a fall marathon and I'll just say that's the last marathon I ran. Um, uh, I got hooked on the cycling community and the culture and, um, decided I need to be a road racer. So then I, um, did some road racing, got caught up in a pretty nasty crash um, at the um, cycling classic, Cascade Cycling Classic in 2010. Went to my wedding covered in tagaderm and decided that maybe road racing wasn't my cup of tea. Thank God. 
Um, Why does that not surprise me? <laughs> this is, I can picture this. And for everybody out there, my nickname for Serena is the millennial, even though she's not. It's my nickname. And we've had that joke since the day I met her. Um, but I've, I've known Serena for quite a bit of time and I've seen like massive amounts of power output, but also doing it with a smile. And I think that that to me is one of the most important parts about why one we get along so well we are able to have so much fun whether it's doing you know campo velo or racing or supporting each other at different events and in that moment i can picture that in my mind like you walking up in your wedding dress ben standing there and you covered in tagadur like that yeah. i can totally picture that that does not surprise me <laughs> Um, not at all. <laughs> yeah, my mom was less happy about that situation. Um, <laughs> but um, so the, yeah, then I was like, uh, well, if I want to get better at cyclocross, I should learn how to become a better technical rider. So I started mountain biking and fell in love with it. And if anyone's been to Bend or knows anything about Bend, the mountain biking here is great. And started mountain biking, uh, riding cross and then riding gravel on my cyclocross bike before it was gravel um remember that think, when when cyclocross bikes were the original gravel yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i think it's i just think it's hilarious when people are like oh i need a gravel bike and i was like no nah. i mean you do need a gravel bike now they're great but you don't need a gravel bike the difference um, yeah, the geometry yeah. changes a little bit a little bit different we yeah what we have yeah so anyway i really started racing in 2009 i was 30 years old. And that was really when I started riding a bike and racing. Um, and it has just been a man, a process of progression and consistency. And, um, I, I have a husband who inherited, well, I became a bike racer throughout our relationship. And so he's been incredibly patient with me as my commitment to the sport, uh, increased over time. I went from you know, working sort of a traditional nine to five, 40 hour a week job to, I want to spend more time focusing on training and racing. And then, you know, it's just interesting. Then I went from full-time to half-time and then you're, and then I decided, well, I'm only working half-time. So I should start doing some other things like coaching. And so I started coaching other cyclists and then I decided, well, I only want to coach. So I quit that job. It's just interesting how things like morph and change over time. And, um, now I'm working, I have a, a quote unquote real job for 25 hours a week and I coach and I contribute um, in other ways through the, to live cycling uh, brand um, and race full time. And so it's like, a, it's a balancing act. Um, and I would say that while some people would say, oh, you sacrifice things to be a bike racer. I think I make a choice to be a bike racer. And I am incredibly fortunate to have the opportunity to make that choice and also have a support system in my husband who is like willing to allow <laughs> for that kind of behavior. I mean, Ben is like, he's so amazing. He's so supportive. Super, we like to call him Super Ben. Super Ben. Super Ben. Um, his nickname in high school was Ben Gorgeous instead of Ben Gordon, which I thinks hilarious um so next getting, time you see i'm getting him top two decals that are made that say that now yeah don't he's gonna be mad now everyone knows um but anyway he showed up 
when we were at Oregon Trail, right? <laughs> like showed up with a hundred bucks worth of Coors Banquet, eight bags of ice, jugs of water, the dog, right? Ice cream sandwiches. Ice cream sandwiches. And like was just this savior who descended upon and by the way the beer was for the support crew that was supporting us none of us drank it yeah yeah i mean that's just the kind of thing that he does um that like he just yeah he just shows up then he's like hey i'm here to support you and when he does that it's like it means so much to me because it's really hard to ask your partner oh, come hang out at a race and be fully focused on what I'm doing and not use your weekend for your own enjoyment, you know? And, and when he shows up, he has fun for sure, but it just means so much to me. And then everyone loves him. I mean, he's just like such an awesome guy. So having him at Oregon trail for those last couple of days was, oh, just such a boost. We had such a good crew. That was a great, great event to have everybody at it built the camaraderie level. It's, I, I loved how it started with a small group. And then it just kept it growing. And by the last day we had like, I was like, where are all these people coming from? Well, like, when you made the tacos and you were just like, uh, where are these people eating the tacos? <laughs> who are these people? I don't know who these people are right now, but oh to God, Serena, did you eat? Ben, did you eat? Because <laughs> there's all these people. I have no idea who they are. Yeah. So you're so gracious in that. <laughs> so with your running and your transition from running, I mean, you had a built base. But mm-hmm. then you're having, you know, you had structure in your life, right? With running. And I think that's what's really important. And that understanding of having structure and running is similar to having structure in other sport because there's commitment, there's time commitments. You have to get out there. You have to spend the time building muscle mass, building sprint, you know, speed. You have to, I mean, you can get into all your TSSs and the TSTs and the FTPs and the MTPs and the TDZs and I, I don't know all that stuff. All I know is like if I'm suffering and I'm not suffering, right? Like <laughs> and there's there's a level of understanding and and but you built that base that you then transferred to the bike, which again is low impact, right? Mm-hmm. And how long of a transition period did that take for you? Like you started doing the cyclocross and then you started did the road racing. What was the most difficult hurdle for you? Was it transitioning the muscle mass to different muscles in your legs because you know running uses of course different muscles or was it the handling skills like what was the biggest hurdle for you in in that transition um man that is such a great question and one i hadn't thought about um in that terms i think there's a couple things um one when you're a runner you actually don't well i think in cycling muscular endurance is a lot more important than in running. Like running, it's really like aerobic. Whereas in cycling, you need so many, at least in the type of running I was doing in cycling, you need anaerobic, anaerobic, you need must be able to use your heart and your muscles to be able to produce power at, um, a large range of intensities. Um, and cycle cross is a perfect example of that. You need to be able to go really, really, really hard. And then you need to be able to go real hard and then really, really, really hard again. And so just that sort of, um, variable power development takes a while. Um, but I would say the biggest transition for me is that when I went from running to cycling and like, we'll use mountain biking, for example, 
I was really good because, and I actually said to someone once, there should just be uphill mountain bike races because I was really good going uphill. I could climb, but I couldn't descend because my handling skills were crap. And at the time there weren't nearly the programs that there are now to teach people how to mountain bike. It was just like, we'll just go downhill. And um, it took me a long time as, as someone getting into the sport a bit older to like remove that fear barrier. And I still have it. Like I have a pretty strong self-preservation instinct. And I look at these kids that are like eight who are just freaking killing it and doing massive drops and um, learning the skills and acquiring that, that set of skills to like execute on difficult um, maneuvers on the bike that I just didn't have the opportunity to learn as a kiddo. I was riding like a banana seat bike down the road to school. That was about my extent of cycling as a kid. So anyway, I think the technical bit, but, but then I went from age group mountain biking and I was really good. I won age group nationals, I think as like a 25 to 30 year old or whatever that was. And I got my pro card and I was like, I am the freaking cat's pajamas. I am so rad. And I remember going to this race and Ben went with me. Piper was there too, the dog. She was puppy. We go to this race and I'm pretty much convinced I'm going to win. Like this is my first like pro XC, uh, XCT race. And I'm like, I'm going to win. And I think I got last or this like second. Real first taste of humble pie. Yeah. And I was like, oh, huh. That's a like different, it was like next level, right? Like you're the big fish in the little pond. And then you go to be the very, very little fish in the very big pond. And I remember Katarina Nash was at that race and it was really bloody hot and we're warming up. And I'm just, I have done like two or three laps on the course in the blistering heat. And she comes up to me and she hands me a bag of ice and she's like, you need to sit down. You you're done. Like you're warmed up, just sit down and wait for the race to start. And, um, by that point I was cooked, like <laughs> already the race hadn't even begun, but it's, um, that's you know, amazing. That... And that's, what's so great about Kat, right? She's like, oh, so God. She's... wonderful yeah. and embracing to everyone in the community. And she never wants to see anybody do poorly. Yeah. And that was the first time I met her and I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And, you know, since then that was, you know, probably nine years ago, just getting to know her and the community. But, but to your point about pro progression, you, you go from being really good in your small community, whatever that looks like to, if you want to become better, you have to put yourself into a position that forces you to be better. And, um, you know, at Oregon trail, for instance, Sarah Sturm and I talked a lot about this idea of steel sharpened steel. And it's one thing to go to a race and win and like give 90%. That's cool. But to go to a race and get fifth and know that you turned yourself inside out for that result, like that is more meaningful. And I think the longer I'm in the sport and the more I develop as an athlete and as a human, that becomes clearer in my mind where it's like, you, you, if you want to really get the best out of yourself, you have to compete against people who are better than you and who push you. And if we all push each other together to be better then we're, we're, you know, like, a rising tide lifts all boats. And that's super cliche, but it's true. Like we can all get better together. And, and, um, you just see the times of women coming down because of the competition and it's rad. It's so rad. And the fact that we can be out there on a gravel race and we are working equally with men, um, 
to move forward and to, to reach the goal is pretty cool. You know, so many times you finish a gravel race or a mountain bike race where there's a mass start and the guys are like, Oh man, you you know, you came by me on that Hill or you were strong or whatever. Like, yeah, the, the women in this race are real strong. Like you're still surprised by that, but you know what? Like we're, we're strong and we aren't going to just like, yeah, we're not going to sit in and let the guys set the pace. We're going to be dynamic contributors to the way a race unfolds. And I think that's actually a really, really key point you're making there, because while we were all at Oregon Trail, I think there was a whole slew of things happening right there. And um, that was the start for what has become a very hot topic right now, uh, the conversation of men on the same team as a woman focusing 100% on getting that woman ahead of all the other women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which to me, I call bullshit on that, right? If you're going to have a female team, have a female team working together. If you're going to have a men's team, have a men's team working for men's team. And I'm sure someone's going to get all butt hurt about this and whatever, you know? Um, and that played into effect at Oregon. And what I found was really great at that moment was the collective of top tier women worked together to make sure that that couldn't happen. Mm-hmm. guys came together as a group mm-hmm. and that was really rad because that doesn't as much as you would think there would be even in the top tier men they're not going to have that kind of like all right we see that there's this going on we're going to work together and just make sure that doesn't happen I think that mm-hmm. that was for me a really cool especially being part of that like we had our core of people there and it was like I mean you and Sarah were duking it out left I mean every day it was seconds here seconds there But to have the whole crew of the top tier women sit down, talk about it and say, we don't feel comfortable with the fact that some dude is leading out a woman and basically doing all the grunt work so she can save all her energy. We're going to make sure that that's not going to happen. And you guys like decimated (laughs) to the point where he quit the race and showed that individual. Like that to me was amazing. I think, um, you know, this topic has become quite controversial and is really in the spotlight. And there's actually a group of about 18 women, myself included, working um, to come up with a constructive solution to this kind of controversy. And there is, you know, one side of the spectrum is saying there are no rules in gravel. There should be no rules in gravel. Well, there are rules in gravel. You can't ride an e-bike. You can't hold onto a car. You know, there are rules in gravel. Um, But I think what is happening is one, the word or definition of gravel is really different depending on where you live in the country and what sort of race course you are, um, you're racing on. So there's that. And I also think that there just needs to be more guidance. And if there are rules put in place, they need to be enforced. Um, because we would love to think about like the spirit of gravel, but not everyone defines that the same way. And, um, with the increased popularity and spotlight on the discipline of gravel, I think it's becoming more and more important that we do set expectations because if I'm a female, if, if I'm a racer and I go to a race and I know what the expectations are, then if the race doesn't unfold according to those expectations, well, then there's, that's not okay. But if I go in with implied expectations and then the race doesn't unfold according to what I think it should, I don't have a right to complain. Does that make sense? Like if there are rules 
written down and I look at those rules and I sign up for the race anyway, then I can't complain if I don't like those rules after the fact. It, it's, it's just basics, right? It's basic things yeah. in life. Like it's kind of like driving, right? There's rules of how to drive. There should be rules that are followed straight yeah. up. I just if, think it ultimately boils down to what I like to call fair play, right? Mm -hmm. And there just needs to be fair play. That's it. Yeah. You know, yeah. pretty straightforward, you know, that's it. Yeah. And, and unfortunately, the problem is that my definition of fair play and someone else's might not be the same. And rules are typically written for the lowest common denominator. And I'm sure I'm going to piss somebody off by saying that, but if everyone just did the right thing and abided by the rules of fair play, we wouldn't have to have a long list of rules, but um, that's not the case. And so I do think that there will, you, we will see more rules put into effect and then riders making decisions which races they want to go to depending on what those rules look like and there are some races that having male domestiques is going to be okay and those are probably races i'm not going to go to and then there are going to be other races that say that's not okay and this is what we define as the spirit of gravel and those are the races that i want to go to and support so i think it's just going to come down to what you want to find what you want out of a gravel race and um and then making making your race decisions based on that. And that speaks louder than anything. Like, do you show up to races or do you not? So. So that, that actually leads into actually, ironically, into a question I was gonna ask. So okay. how do you make those decisions on events that you wanna participate in? Because you have the opportunity to race in Europe now with Live Global. You have the ability to race pretty much all over. So what, what makes you choose certain events like gravel events or mountain bike events? To, to be able to travel to, to take and build your training plan for those? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, this year, uh, racing for Live Global has been amazing because I have really been able to have full control over my schedule. Um, for me, there's a couple of things. One, I want to pick races that suit my strengths, right? You always want to race to your strength if you can. Um, I want to go to places that are beautiful, and to events that attract awesome people. So I wanna have fun in beautiful places with rad people. Those are kind of like how I write the criteria of where I choose to race. Um, you know, I want to select races and support promoters that put women first, that have equal prize money, that have equal podium, that have equal media. I want to um, support promoters that are, are moving the sport forward in really progressive ways. So um, we want to make sure that we have, we do our best to like make cycling an inclusive and welcoming environment for everyone. That's something that's important to me. You know, um, I think when you stand on, when you participate in a race or stand on a podium of a race, like you are representing everything that race stands for. And if you don't believe in what that race stands for, you probably shouldn't show up. So I don't, I don't mean to say that and like make it political, but it's true. There are races that I choose not to do because I don't believe in the, the foundational ethics of, of what that race stands for. Um, and and there's nothing, I mean, to me, yeah. that, that's actually a, a brilliant answer. You know, it's like, yeah. we make choices in life on what's important to us, whether it be what you buy at the grocery store, what, you know, clothing you choose to wear or sneakers, 
that's all based on your beliefs. And, you know, that's a valid answer. Yeah. And I think it's the same as like the brands that you, that support, that you have a relationship with. Like, I think it's really, really important to only uh, have relationship with brands that you believe in and that you support and that you genuinely like and like, you know, like the product, like the people. Um, I feel like it's easy to like chase bright, shiny objects by some brand who's going to be like, oh, I'll give you a hundred dollars in this new pair of whatevers. It's like, okay, well, who are you? What do you stand for? Does, does this look like a long-term relationship? Um, do I want to have dinner with you? Can I genuinely tell my friends that I love running this particular tire or this particular pedal or whatever? Like those are, those are things that as, as an athlete, you have to consider and to have not just as a racer, but like as an ambassador of the sport, because if people see through you, <laughs> people know when you're, when you're, you know, saying something for a couple bucks versus like saying something, cause you genuinely believe, genuinely believe it. And I think, um, yeah, I want to be around in the sport, whether racing or as an ambassador for a really long time. So those relationships to me are really important. Well, they're long lasting. I think that's a really important thing. It's like, you have to have uh, a really comprehensive relationship with those folks to continue it on forever. And I think that's, that's, what's really powerful about it. Right. It's like cycling is, and to me, it, it transcends a lot of boundaries, right? Like it opens up doors it was the first tool that you ever had as a kid to get really far away from your parents. Right? <laughs> Think about it. It's like, I can't hear them yell my name. I've gotten really, really far right now. And that's really cool. And, it, and the more I get on the bike and the more I use it for multiple different, you know, reasons, like if one, it's physical well-being, two, it's mental well-being, um, but also the adventures, right? Like the adventures that we get to have on a bike are, are pretty incredible. Like we yeah. see things. And I think Oregon Trail is a perfect example of that because I had never been to the Cascades before. That was my first time. And I'm definitely coming back. I just, I got to reach out to Chad and get signed up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you should come out. I'll just do a little plug for Chad and his events. Like he is putting on some awesome events and he did a two day in the Ochakos um, in July. You would love it. It's There's, so good. It's just there's something about the visuals and being, and, and I think you, you, this is something that I think you, you can talk to a lot about. It's like that feeling of pushing yourself to a point where you think you're going to break, but then you find that you can actually go farther than you really thought. Yeah. I think that like, can you talk to people about that? Because I think I know what that's like and I know how to do that and I know where my breaking point, well, I think I know where my breaking point is now, but I'm not quite sure still. And I still keep going down that, but it's like finding that and finding comfort in that moment because that's a hard hurdle for a lot of people to get over, right? It's like, I don't think I can get up that hill or I don't think I can go that far or I don't think I can catch that person, right? And that's the instant reaction a lot of folks have in life, right? Mm -hmm. it's the, mm -hmm. The hesitation or the fear of failure and I really would like for you to explain like how that folks can like get over that hurdle yeah that's a big hurdle to get over for a lot of folks like you submit you yeah. mentioned earlier the preservation technique right it's like I'm not going to go ripping downhill chasing that 14 year old kid on the dual suspension you know hucker bike because god knows what he's going to jump off of but yet you probably could 
right? So it's it's just that guarded. Everybody's guarded. Yeah. Um, I think there's two levels to the, to answer that question. Um, the first is the mind is really really powerful, and at the pointy end, like we how do I say this? So first of all, if you are trained and you are prepared for an event, um, then it's a very different situation than if you're like, oh, I've ridden a total of 50 miles this year. And now I'm going to go or do Oregon trail. Like your mind maybe can't get you through that. No. So when I speak, so when I speak about, when I talk about the, the, when I answer this question, I want to put, put in the asterisk. I'm not talking about the guy who isn't ready, isn't prepared for the event. I'm talking about the person who is, you know, prepared as best they can. Maybe they're, they're not training 20 hours a week, but they've put in the work and they're ready. And then they get to the event and they're really tired. It's like, I don't know if I can do this another day, or I don't know if I can get to the top of the hill, or I don't know if I can catch the person that just attacked. And for me personally, and I've seen this in you too, you make a decision. And you may fail, but you are going to give it your all. And, you know, I think there's a point in almost every race I've ever done where you're like, oh, I think I'm done. I think I'm spent. I don't think I can do that. And you, you with that, you have a split second to make a choice. Are you going to listen to that little voice on this shoulder saying, yep, you're tired. Or are you going to listen to the other shoulder that says, nope, you can do it. You can do it. And that's really that discussion you have with your central governor, right? And it's like, They've done all these studies of um, runners specifically, but if you look at the mile and um, break it down into the four laps um, for like world championships and Olympic races, that last mile or the last lap of the mile is almost always faster, right? So if that's the case, you weren't actually going as fast as you could on lap three, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to speed up. And that really shows what it is up here. Like at the end of a race, you're totally maxed out and yet you sprint. So you actually aren't like, you cannot, you cannot kill yourself by going too hard. Like your body will, your, your mind gives out way before your body does. And, um, there are some caveats to that, like heat exhaustion and other things, but, um, our mind is just super powerful. And I guess to, I'm sort of rambling, but to answer your question, like there is a moment where you have to decide to make it to the top of the hill. I am going to do this. I can make one more revolution of the pedals. Um, you know, you attack off the front and I can choose to go with you and it's going to hurt for like 15 seconds. And then you're going to slow down a little bit and I'm going to be in your draft. And I just made the right decision. If I didn't decide to go with you in that split second, well, now you're, you know, a quarter mile up the road and there's no way in heck I can catch you. So there's those like split moment decisions where the effort is worth it. You know, going into the red is worth it. Um, and in longer races, that's such a hard decision to make because you're like, I have 90 more miles. Am I really going to chase that down? Am I really going to put in the effort to stay with that group? And it's like, yeah, better it's worth it. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's answers, but I think you just have to make, make the decision that I, yes, you can do it. And, and I think one of the things that people don't realize is there's a lot of lows in bike racing, just as much as there is highs. <laughs> and I don't care how hard we train or we work towards things or, you know, we sharpen our mind 
there's things that go pear-shaped always, right? There's nothing, whether it's a mechanical or a double flat or you bonk, whatever, things go wrong and it's not always pretty, right? And that's for the best of everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, on the bike and off the bike, you know, I think, first of all, on the bike, something can happen to you. Something can happen to somebody else too. So like, you never know what's going to happen. And I think it's important that if you're having a great day, you don't celebrate too early. And if you're having a bad day, you don't like curl up in a ball too soon because anything can happen in bike racing and gravel and mountain biking even more so, because there's just so many uncontrollables. So, um, if something happens and you flat or you get dropped, it's like, you don't know what's going on up the road. Keep plowing forward. You might surprise yourself. And actually, I don't know if you remember on the queen stage, I was having one of those days. I had a real low point and ended up, I was like, they're 20 minutes up the road. I suck. We went by that lake. And I was like, I think I might just stop and go swimming. That would be nice. And I didn't and ended up sprinting, catching a bunch of girls and sprint winning the, the, the field sprint and ended up third on the stage. And I was like, you know, two hours before, like, I might as well give up. I suck. So those roller coasters happen and you just have to be like, I know it's going to happen. And just like the low comes, the high will come back. Um, but I think off the bike and you and I have talked about this a bit, like off the bike and mental health. Um, like I struggled a lot last year and I think a lot of people did. Um, but I, I think previous to our relationship with COVID, I was under the impression of like, oh, you're feeling down. Just go for a walk. Just go for a walk. You'll be fine. And last year I learned that that was not the case. And, um, it takes a lot of work and I have been so appreciative of my community. And once I voiced that I needed help and I needed support, so many other people like opened up and I might get all teary eyed, but like the amount of love and support that came my way. And then I was able to share with other people around getting through tough times being like, yeah, I see a counselor and it's awesome. And why did I wait until I was 42 years old to do that? Like, um, it needs to be, I mean, it just needs to be more transparent and no one should be ashamed to say, yeah, I'm having a really rough day. Or I spent the afternoon curled up with a bag of popcorn, watching bike racing on the couch because I couldn't motivate myself. And those, those days happen. And, um, but if we can talk about it and we can normalize it in a way that doesn't make us feel like we're on the outside of a circle and instead walk into the middle and have everybody support you and help you get through that, like that is what's going to help all of us. And, um, yeah, I mean, everyone has their own journey through, through mental health and it's different for everyone in some ways. And yet it's, there's just like a common thread that runs through it. And just like the highs and lows in a bike race. Like, I think we learn so much about life through cycling. Um, and I think we can take a lot of those lessons, both physical and mental and put, you know, like weave them into the, our lives and make us better humans. And when this year, one of the shifts I made with site, I, I was having this really love hate relationship with cycling and through the last year or so really decided like when you can play bikes, when you, when you start, when you 
toe a line and all of a sudden you're like excited to play bikes with your friends, then it, the whole thing changes. You enjoy the process of the race and you're not just excited for the outcome. It's like, what is transpiring over these hours is the point. It's not necessarily what happens when you cross the line at the end. And I think that's actually yeah. a really, really good, um, good point because, you know, we talked about this prior to me getting to Cascade about my concerns and my nervousness. I hadn't been in the saddle that long. I'd been dealing with my own mental spiral, you know, and you and I have talked about that tons of times and, um, towing up on the line with everybody and being able to just have fun, like was the best five days. I needed that so bad and didn't realize how bad I'd missed it. Like the hoops and the hoo-hahs and it's like, you're like, people are cheering. They're cheering themselves as you're riding, right? It's like, <laughs> you know, how many conversations did people have about moon dust and lava rocks and descending and tire pressure? And, you know, it, it ended up becoming the funniest, goofiest thing from like, people in flat pedals to people riding road pedals to people, I mean, everything was became fun and silly. And that made it great. That made that like, yeah, today's gonna suck because it's 112 degrees out. <laughs> it's gonna suck, but man, is it gonna be fun because we're gonna laugh about it. And it's like, hey dude, jump in that river. I don't wanna jump in that river. No, jump in that river. You know, and it's like, that became what made that event so much fun. I didn't care how I placed. I wanted to finish, I wanted to battle myself. And I think, you know, mental health and cycling are very similar in a lot of ways because there's, you know, can you win? I guess, can you win in mental health? Yes. Can you win on the bike? Yes. But ultimately the challenge of the bike is challenging yourself, not challenging the others in mm -hmm. enjoying the ride. And yeah. I think that that's really, really the important part that I have taken away from the bike and being around people and being able to be open about, okay, I go to crazy school. I take crazy pills. I'm comfortable with it. Right. Like you and I have talked about it a ton. Like, you know, I choose not to drink because it messes with my crazy pills. So I think, but that, that moment of being on the bike and being out there realizing that the fun level is through the ceiling, it made everything else just wash away. Hmm. Right. Like, yeah. Like, all right, time to take a cold shower. Cause there's no hot water. <laughs> We're going to go make, make some dinner for everybody. Like that, that I think is what's the powerful thing. It's like the bike transcends everything and it can really make you um, at peace. Yeah. Ways. Well, and, and I think you hit on a really important point when you were talking about like, go jump in the river at Oregon trail. Like you are with everyone for five days. Everyone is together. And it's like, yeah, you're racing yourself or each other on the bike, but then afterwards you're all friends. And I think that's what's so, one of the things that's so unique about that particular race and the format is that you, you better be a good person on the bike because you're going to hang out with all the same people for dinner and breakfast. And then the next day, <laughs> but it just oh, creates yeah. this camaraderie. And, you know, like we had a really strong women's field and we were, you know, like battling at the front of that race. And then afterwards we're like laughing and swimming and, you know, so it was just, 
I think that it does remind all of us why we do what we do. And um, if you're not having a good time, it is not worth it. I don't spend 20 hours a week on my bike to not have fun. There are a lot of other things I could be doing. And um, yeah, I just, I, I just think that to the point of we can make each other better bike racers by pushing our limits. We can also make each other better humans by encouraging each other to be honest and transparent and ask for help. And there's never a time that I have asked for help where the person I asked is like, no, I will not help you. People want to help you. People want to share their experiences. They want to help you come up with solutions or provide recommendations. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it, you've been incredibly helpful in just that like comfort level in talking about some of the mental struggles because it does feel really foreign at the beginning, like when you first talk about, oh yeah, this is what I'm going through. And to have somebody on the other end of a conversation that gets it and is willing to listen and empathize and support and say, yeah, you are not, you're not alone in this. We're all in this together. Like, well, there's that stigma factor, right? And, and I mm -hmm. think that's something that's been talked about a lot. You can't see, there's no physical part of you that's in a cast or you have stitches, right? Like, mm -hmm. okay, I got a bandaid. I cut my finger today. Yeah. Right. Somebody's like, oh, how'd you do that? Right. Nobody says to you, how's your brain today? There's not that question when somebody, you know, um, yeah. other cultures greet you and say, have you eaten today? Right. But nobody says, how's your brain today? Or are you doing all right in there? You know, yeah. but if they see you with a broken leg, oh my God, how'd you do that? Well, I slipped in the bathtub. You got to come up with a better story than that. Yeah. Right. Like we have to get away from that. We have to recognize that everybody has their own battles. Everybody has their mm -hmm. own demons. Um, and everybody's got something going on in there and we'll never, we don't know unless they want to share it, but sometimes just reaching out and saying, Hey, do you need a hand? Is everything all right? It's the same thing on the bike. I don't care if I know people who they are, whatever, if they're standing on the side of the road, I'm asking them if they need something. Yeah. Right. Cause there's that camaraderie on a bike, right? Nobody's yeah. going to pull over in the car and say, Hey, do you need a tube? Yeah. Because right? you know that if you don't stop down the trail, you might need help. <laughs> exactly. Right? Like it all comes back around. It, it's um, called karma. It's just called being yeah. kind. It's, it's not a, it's not a really difficult thing to do. No, it's not. And it feels great. It feels good. It does. When I first met my husband, he's, he definitely had this mentality of like, it all comes back around and we didn't have a lot of money. We would go out to dinner and he, with friends and he would say, oh, we'll get that. And I'd be like, wait, what? It, we're, huh? And he's like, it'll all come back around. Ben and I have been together since 2005 and it's taken a long time. But I, I believe that like that mantra is true in all aspects of your life. Like it'll all come back and it might come back in an unexpected place from an unexpected person or in an unexpected way, but it will. And when you just like know that and believe it and trust it, like it comes back hundred percent. It does. Well, we're going to do a little quick fire right now. Okay. Cause I know you, oh God. Have, you have some place to be. We do this and every podcast, no answers wrong. So it's okay. fun. All right. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Yeah. Okay. Hamburger, yeah. hot dog. Hamburger. Okay. Ketchup or mustard. Mustard. Dijon or deli? Dijon. 
It's been a while. Is that it? We've had, we've, we've, it's been a while since we've had a positive mustard answer here. Um, oh, <laughs> all minutes, right. A lot of ketchups. A lot of, I'm like, oh, awful. <laughs> okay. Uh, pasta or noodles? Noodles. Dumplings or ravioli? Dumplings. Caviar, sea urchin. Ooh. I don't know if I've ever had sea urchin, so I would say sea urchin. <laughs> okay. How about sashimi or nigiri? Nigiri. Beef or pork? Beef. Tequila or whiskey? Whiskey. Red wine, white wine? Red. Light beer, dark beer? Oh. Well, I don't really drink much beer, but... There's your answer. Yeah. <laughs> Chocolate or fruit? Depends on the time of day. Probably chocolate. <laughs> Bitter or milk? Bitter. Coffee or tea? Coffee. <laughs> espresso or cappuccino? If Ben's making it, cappuccino. Oh, wow. Wow. You just put him on the pedestal right there. You haven't wow. seen his new machine. Oh, did he get the Rocket Express machine? No, he got a, a Luca. Oh, yeah. I know because we were talking espresso machines last time I saw you guys. Yeah. We were having those big conversations. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I still don't know how to use it. It's very scary. No, come on. It can't be that hard. Well, I haven't tried, but. There's no buttons. Okay. Well, if you have your personal barista, I mean. I know, exactly. I mean, I'm now sorry, his, I got top you tube, his top tube name is getting longer, right? <laughs> yes. Ben Gorgeous Cappuccino Extraordinaire. He would be so pleased with that. <laughs> I am going to make him a top tube decal. He's never had one. It would make his day. Yeah. Is he coming to Campo Velo? If you make him a top tube decal he'll oh, i'm sure uh, trust me he'll have a top tube decal yeah. okay okay um <laughs> see i diverted this the quick fire questions beef or pork you asked me that already beef see, you confused me you made my brain go all honky and i'm like beef beef 100 no i said hamburger hot dog you went with the other no one. i also said hamburger oh yeah i know you did i know you did all right so last thing What's up next for you on adventures? Well, I've got a couple things. The races that I was that I had up got canceled, and so I'm not doing those. Um, so I've got a couple more gravel races on the docket, hopefully, but um, nothing is set in stone yet. So trying to figure out a couple of of uh, transportation logistical things, and also I really want an entry into Spirit World. So if anyone has has strings to pull on that. You just let me know. Paul Yuri, he's got interest in spirit. He's he's checking. Yeah. This is his oh, reminder. He's the spirit world guy. I, I, this is his reminder. Hey, <laughs> check on check on an entry to spirit world for me. <laughs> no, I'm not done racing. I uh I'm I'm fired up. So hopefully I'll get in a couple more um races and yeah, it'll be good. Nice. And I'm gonna come down and see you for Campo Velo um, Ladies Edition in October. Ladies Edition Campo Velo, October, yeah. Got an all-star lineup of uh, superstars on the bike. So um, psyched Sarah's gonna be there, be rad. Sturm, we have you, we have Lauren Hall, we have Janelle. 
Yep. Yeah. So, super fun. Really excited. I will not be riding with, it's a women's only. No men are allowed to ride with women. That's the rules. Ben, if you come, you're going to ride with me. We're going to go on a little separate ride. Excellent. Yeah. We'll go the other direction. They're going to go one way. <laughs> <laughs> Can't cross paths. That's the rules. No, no. So, well, everybody, if you want to check out what Serena's up to, check her out on her Instagram, which is? Serena BG. There you go. And uh, definitely, definitely keep an eye out for her at events because I can tell you, I started an hour and a half before her and she came blazing by me like I was standing still. So she's fast. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining. Thank you, Serena, for being here with me today. And uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. Okay, sounds good. All right, cheers. Bye.